Well, today we're continuing our message series entitled Prophetic Living. And in this series, we're looking at the life of Samuel the prophet. And of course, uh, we're looking at the scriptures of 1 Samuel, which talks about his, his life. And we're learning principles that will help us to live prophetically in our world, in our time. What does it mean to live prophetically, you know, prophetic living? Well, to live prophetically is to live hearing from God, hearing God speak to us. That's the first step. And secondly, not only do we hear what God speaks to us, but then we communicate or speak his message to people around us, to friends, to our society. And uh, that is how we live prophetically. Now today our message is entitled Maturing in Ministry. We're continuing to look at the life of Samuel and we're going to see how his ministry matured. Uh, as we started his life last Sunday, we saw how as a, as a young boy in the temple he began to hear from God and speak. God's message was not easy for him to do. But we began to learn about what living prophetically was all about. And now Samuel has grown up, his ministry has matured as a prophet, and he's now ready to lead Israel through a time of great challenges. Now, our title is Maturing in Ministry, so let's think for a minute about what the word ministry means. One definition of ministry is serving or caring for other believers within the church. That's the way it's normally uh, thought of. Ministry is caring for believers, serving them within the church. Outreach, on the other hand, is caring or serving unbelievers outside the church in the world. And so we have those two aspects uh, of the things that God calls us to do. And all believers are called to be active both in ministry within the church and outreach outside of the church. Let's look a little more about ministry within the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline and these scriptures written out. They'll be on the screen as well. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, and he, that's speaking of God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so in this verse, we, we see the five main leadership roles in the church. They're identified as, as apostles, prophets, Evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, it's the same uh, word there depending on your translation, and teachers. God still raises up people with all of those callings today. Uh, these, none of those things expired at the end of the Bible. They're still, uh, those type of callings are available today. People are functioning in those capacities. Now let's look more carefully at the role of these leaders. Their job, the job of leaders in the church, is to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the job of the leaders is not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints to do the ministry. Now, who are the saints? You know, some people think saints have to be voted in. There's only special people that do miracles who are saints. Well, we take our definition of words from the Bible. The way the word saints is used in the Bible is the saint is a believer. So if you're a believer here this morning, you are a saint. Did you ever recognize that before? We have St. Richard, okay? Uh, St. Vicky and uh, St. Brian and St. Uh, sorry if I didn't call your name. I can't go through everybody. But you are saints. And uh, that's a good thing. Now, it's up to you if you want to use that title or not, okay? So... Uh, 
you can start using it. Typically in the Bible, uh, people call one another brother or sister, okay? Because we're all children of God. We're all part of the family of God. But oftentimes it talks of us as saints. And so the ministry leaders are to, are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is defined as building up the body of Christ. And so as we minister to one another, we build up the body of Christ, which is, which is the church. Now, just as God gives gifts to equip people to lead in his church, so also God gives gifts to every believer, to the saints, to equip them to do ministry within the church. Romans 12, 6 and 8 says, Having gifts that differ, he's talking about the members of the church of the body of Christ, according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so these verses refer to different gifts that God gives to the members of the church, his body. Now the gifts listed here, I mean, there's quite a li list there, but they're not exhaustive. They're just representative of the type of gifts that God gives. All different kinds. And so God desires each and every person in a, in a church family to be involved in ministry with the gifts that God has given you. If you're a believer, God has given you gifts. You can't say, well, you left me out. Maybe you haven't discovered the gifts that God has given you, but you have gifts. Uh, and the, you may have multiple gifts. And as you fulfill your calling with the gifts that God has given you, you will be blessed and you'll be a blessing to others. Now, today we're going to look at how the ministry of Samuel matured as he faced new challenges, as he faced different enemies. And as we go through life, the gifts that God has given us will prepare us to face new challenges in life as well. And we're going to see that whenever we seek to serve God and his church, we're going to be attacked. In one way or another. But as we trust God, he's going to deliver us. He's going to help us to continue to grow in our ministry. So we're going to continue our study of the life of Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel. And we see in the story God's presence was going to be lost from uh, Israel in a way. The Israelites were far from God. We saw last Sunday that the high priest Eli had not raised his sons properly. All kinds of things were going on uh, that were contrary to God's will in the temple. The Israelites were basically living in rebellion against God in many ways. They were worshiping idols as well as trying to worship God at the same time. And they decided in their battle with the Philistines to take the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the temple, and they thought, if we take this with us, we're going to Gain the victory over the Philistines. It's kind of like a good luck charm. If we have this ark with us, surely we're going to take the, take the battle. We're going to conquer the Philistines. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was, was a place where God's, God's presence was manifest. I mean, it was, a, it was a very special inside where you know, the Ten Commandments and the, the rod of Aaron that budded and some 
some manna that had been collected during the 40 years in the wilderness. It was, a, it was a very special thing. God's glory appeared there. Only the high priest could come in to the Holy of Holies at special times. Uh, if you came in at the wrong time, uh, you were, you were a, a dead man. And so there was great power there. And so they took this ark into battle with the Philistines. And guess what happened? They were soundly defeated and the ark was captured by the Philistines. They thought, we'll have the power now. Well, when the news came back to Eli the high priest that the ark had been captured by the enemy, by the pagan Philistines, he, he was older, he fell off his chair and broke his neck and he died. And so the ark then of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. Now the Philistines thought this would be great to have the ark, you know, to have the power of God among them. Well, it wasn't so great for the Philistines. Uh, as this ark was there, all kinds of diseases and plagues began to break out. People were dying all over the place, and they knew it was because of this ark. They said, we got to get rid of this ark. They moved it to another town. The same thing happened, and they were like freaking out. And so they decided to send the ark back to Israel. The ark came back to Israel. We don't have time to, to read all the verses here. I'm just giving you a synopsis. It came back to Israel, and, and some people... Uh, tried to touch the ark to help things out, and they were instantly struck dead. And say, oh man, get this thing away from us. And so ultimately, the ark was brought back, and somehow, uh, we'll see what happens in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, the men of kirath Jeum came out and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. So somebody said, Abinadab, you take this thing. Uh, we can't handle it anymore. Uh, the Philistines had destroyed the temple in Shiloh, we think. And so it says they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord from the day that the ark was lodged at kirith Jilim, A long time passed, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so rather than being placed in a temple, the ark was now placed in somebody's house. Now this house was blessed by God uh, as the ark was there. Uh, but things were not going so well for Israel. They had been defeated in this battle with the Philistines, and now the Philistines basically were dominating over Israel. Uh, they were in subjection. Uh, the, the Israel was in subjection to the Philistines, and things were not going well at all. And so 20 years passed, so that was the time in, in Samuel's life. He obviously now was a... Uh, I don't know exactly his age, but, you know, he wasn't a young boy anymore after 20, 20 years. He was probably in his 30s or 40s, something like that. The nation then began to lament or mourn and seek after God. They knew something was wrong. Uh, they, they wanted God's presence back. They wanted God's blessing. They wanted to be released from being subject to the Philistines. You know, when the Philistines were in control, they would swoop in and take crops and they would do raiding parties, all kinds of things. Bad things were happening. Things were not going well for Israel. But we'll see that even though they're mourning and they're seeking for God's blessing in their lives, they had not truly repented of their wicked behavior. And so simply seeking for God's blessing, simply seeking to have the problems in your life removed, is not repentance. And we're going to see how Samuel then called Israel to true repentance. 
verse 3 of chapter 7. And Samuel said to all the house of, the Israel, of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, there's an if, this is an if, if you are truly returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so these are two really important verses. I mean, both for Israel at that time and for us today to understand what true repentance is all about. Repentance is turning to God with, with all of your heart and turning away from worshiping anything else. You see, the, the Israelites were seeking to to turned to the Lord, and yet they continued to want to worship their idols. And this is something a lot of people don't understand about what was going on all the way through the Old Testament. We think the people of Israel turned to worship idols away from worshiping God. Almost all of the time, they were trying to do both at the same time. They were trying to worship God in the temple and worship their idols on the side, trying to have the best of both worlds. And God said, hey, if you're worshiping idols, you're not worshiping me, even though you come to the temple, even though you make your sacrifices. You can't have it both ways. You have to serve him, as Samuel said, serve the Lord alone. You have to turn away, put away these foreign idols. Now, worship of these idols, uh, we'll see later, the Baal and the Ashtaroth uh, were very, um, it was a very depraved worship. All of these idols accepted child sacrifice. Uh, children were sacrificed to the idols and burned as, as offerings to these idols. Worship of these idols also involved um, sexual prostitution. Both heterosexual and homosexual prostitution were involved with worshiping these idols. I think, why did they worship these idols? Well, there was obviously, in some of these practices, there were uh, things that attracted people. They also believed the idols brought them uh, bountiful crops, bountiful harvests, that the idols would bring them victory in war. And sometimes the idols did those things. And Samuel then was calling the people to true repentance, to serve the Lord alone, and to put away all the idols. And so after 20 years of really God's judgment being upon Israel, Samuel now calling them to true repentance. Uh, it says in verse 4, the end, the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord alone. And so as Samuel led the people, as Samuel called them to repentance, uh, they thankfully followed their direction, his direction. So let's think for a minute. Why was the ark captured and Israel defeated by the Philistines? It was because of the sin of Israel, because they were worshiping idols. Again, this sin had affected Eli, the high priest. It affected his sons. They were involved in sexual immorality in the very temple of the Lord. And so they had brought in the practices of the, these idols right into the temple itself. And, uh, of course, I didn't mention that they were killed in battle with the Philistines. Judgment, God's judgment came upon them as well. And the priesthood was removed from Eli and his family forever. And so this sin brought God's judgment upon the nation. Samuel called the people back to repentance and they turned 
to serve the Lord alone. Now let's think how that applies to America today. Oftentimes we think all oh, those people back there, they were so primitive, they worshiped idols. We don't do that anymore. We're much more advanced and uh, we, we, are, uh, we would never do such things. Well, the same, the Bible teaches us that behind idols is demonic powers. And those demonic powers are the same today as they were thousands of years ago. Uh, they, they look for the same sins. They look for the same practices. It's, it's all the same. They may have different names. But what's going on today? Well, we see child sacrifice today. Abortion is basically child sacrifice. Uh, it's a sacrifice of a child within a mother's womb. And even today now, uh, laws are being passed that if the baby is born, the baby still can be sacrificed uh, because that was the mother's intent from the beginning. And these laws are being passed in states across the nation. We see sexual depravity that's celebrated more and more. Rather than just being something that's permitted, is now being celebrated uh, in many different ways. And so these demonic spirits that were operating in these Idols thousands of years ago are still around. People are still worshiping uh, these idols, even though they may not have names. They're following these practices in a similar way. And so it's the responsibility of God's people, uh, just as Samuel called the nation to repentance. It's for God's people to call for repentance uh, across our nation to avoid God's judgment coming upon us because God's judgment will come if sin is not restrained. How is sin restrained in a nation? Well, it's restrained, first of all, by God changing people's hearts, individual people's hearts. They repent, uh, they turn towards God, and they no longer serve idols. They no longer uh, serve the idols with various types of sins. Sin is also restrained in a nation, even among unbelievers. How is it restrained? It's restrained through the authority of government leaders and laws that are in keeping with God's words. Sin is restrained. Uh, as we have godly government, even though the government itself may not be uh, completely manned by believers, it's put into place, the Bible teaches us, by God's authority to, re to restrain evil. Uh, that's why, you know, as, as a chaplain for the Baldwin Police Department, I started riding with the officers. And, you know, as we talk to the officers, what, what do they see? You know, most of the time what they see is people doing bad things right I mean not exclusively but that's their job to restrain evil somebody's doing something wrong somebody's breaking the law uh, they need to exert the authority of the government and do something to stop what's going on and so they the Bible says they are put into place by God to restrain evil in our world or else everything would just be chaotic uh, and so it's imperative that every church makes clear the biblical principles because each of us is responsible for our government. It's not like this in every country in the world, but because we live in a democracy, our government is put into place by people voting. We have the privilege to vote, and we need to vote for godly leaders and godly laws to be put into place and enforced in our nation. And so those are the two ways that, that sin is restrained in a nation, changing people's hearts and also through us electing godly leaders who put into place godly laws that restrain evil and hold back God's judgment. 
Well, Samuel had talked to the people. They'd repented. And now he began to pray for the people. Verse 5, Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So Samuel gathered all the people of Israel. I don't know how he got everybody there, but there was a lot of people there. They sought God together there. They fasted. Samuel prayed. The people repented. They turned away from worshiping these idols. They turned away from their sins. And so Samuel was now ministering both as a prophet and as a, as a judge of Israel. Now, the previous book to 1 Samuel is Judges. It records the different judges that ruled or led Israel. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. And in my estimation, I think many people's estimation, he was the last and best judge that Israel ever, ever had. Now, it sounds like everything was going great, right? The people had repented. They turned away from their idols. Uh, surely God was going to bless them. And everything was going to be wonderful. But not so fast. The enemy attacked. Verse 7, now when the Philistines heard the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Well, the Philistines saw that Israel was gathered there at Mizpah. They were worshiping God. They thought, well, this is a good time to attack. We've got them all there. And uh, we can march towards them. The Philistines started to march toward the Israelites and the people knew they were coming and they were afraid. Uh, they were afraid they were going to be wiped out and say, Samuel, pray for us. Uh, we don't know what to do that will be saved from the Philistines. And so Samuel had great authority, had great, uh, the people had great trust in his prayers and we're going to see he answered their plea and we're going to see that he prayed. And as he prayed, God defeated the enemy. Samuel cried out, verse 9, to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And so Samuel did pray before God. He began to offer up burnt offerings to God, sacrifices to God. As he prayed. And things perhaps, you know, what, how is that going to stop the Philistines? Offering up sacrifices, praying. But yet God heard the prayer. And it says he answered him. Suddenly the scripture says that the Lord thundered with a loud sound, with a mighty sound. We don't know what happened, okay? It might have been tremendous lightning and thunder going on. It could have been an earthquake. Uh, but suddenly the enemy was thrown into confusion. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. And Israel was able to attack them and defeat them. All a result of the repentance of the people and the prayers of Samuel. And so what principles can we learn from what happened? Well, we can learn an important principle about ministry and, and turning to God. When you make a decision to get right with God, when you make a decision to move on with God in a new way, you think, wow, this is great. What often happens? The enemy attacks you. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like you moving on with God. He doesn't like you turning away from the sin he had you 
doing before. And so uh, very often, you're going to be attacked by the enemy in different ways. But we can survive the attacks of the enemy. How can we do that? Well, by prayer. Not by depending on our own strength to survive the attacks. But as we pray ourselves, as we join with prayer with other believers, God will defeat the enemy and release blessing into our lives. And so we need to... We have attacks on our personal lives, and there are attacks on the church in general. There are attacks on our nation. In all those things, uh, we need to resist the enemy through prayer and taking action. So we need to be in prayer for our church. We need to be in prayer for the state of Missouri in which we live. We need to be in prayer for our nation as well, especially in this pivotal year, I believe, of 2020. Now, God is moving. Uh, as I said, all sins are not equal. This, the sacrifice or of you know, innocent blood, which is what abortion is, is, is a heinous sin. Uh, it's one of the worst sins we see in the Bible, child sacrifice. God absolutely uh, hates it, and it brings God's judgment. But thankfully, abortion has almost been eliminated in Missouri uh, it, there's very little abortion going on anymore. There's only one abortion clinic left. It's one of the few states in America that only has one abortion clinic left, and uh, even the abortions through that clinic continue to plummet. Uh, abortion nationwide is going down every year as more and more restrictions are put into place. More and more godly judges are being appointed, and uh, the Supreme Court is hanging in the balance. Decisions are coming before it even as we speak. Uh, regarding different things regarding abortion, and we need to continue to pray that that uh, atrocity would be eliminated from our nation. So let's pray for our nation diligently th this year. Uh, right now we have another challenge. We have this coronavirus uh, coming uh, in our nation and around the world, and we need to pray. We need to pray that it would be contained, uh, that some of the dire predictions of what's going to happen would not happen, that people would be protected from it, and that people wouldn't panic uh, and do things out of fear uh, that really are not helpful. Prayer is very powerful, and we need to continue to pray that God's hand would be on the elections this year that are coming up later this year that are very, very important. And so God had defeated the enemy, and now he brought blessing to the nation of Israel. Samuel, verse 12, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines had defeated Israel when they captured the Ark of the Covenant at Ebenezer. And now God had given the victory to Israel and Samuel named his memorial stone Ebenezer uh, for the help of the Lord. And so things had been reversed from defeat to victory. God had brought blessing upon the nation as Samuel led them in righteousness. And throughout Samuel's entire life, Israel was protected from the Philistines. Not only were they protected, but the nation was restored. Verse 14, the cities the Philistines had 
taken from Israel, restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So in the past, the Philistine had actually captured cities and, and taken them uh, under subjection. And now these captured cities were restored back to Israel. Uh, and so the Philistines were not bothering Israel. And there was also peace between another uh, perennial enemy, the Amorites. There was peace on every side. And so God brought peace. He brought restoration of the things that had been taken. And instrumental in all of this was Samuel the prophet that God had raised up for such a time. And Samuel was a righteous judge. Verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. And so Samuel never retired from his calling. He served as a prophet and judge for Israel all of his life. He traveled through Israel. He acted as a judge in different locations. He was a righteous judge. Uh, God's word speaks about the absolute importance of righteous judges who judge the law properly. He enforced God's law. He enforced God's word in all his decisions. And Samuel was one of the blessings that God blessed Israel with. In America today, God wants to raise up godly leaders, both within the church and outside of the church. Outside of the church, God does raise up leaders, influential leaders in government, courts, educators, business. He raises up parents to lead their children, grandparents, as well in families. And all of these leaders are called by God to lead by biblical values. Within the church, within our church, God wants to lead to raise up people to, to serve Him in the church, to serve Him in ministry. We have many ministry areas in the church. Uh, we have children's ministry. We have uh, things like cleaning the church. You realize, some of you may not realize, but somebody comes in every week and, and cleans the church. Not one person. There's a team. But we could always use more help in cleaning the church. Uh, church maintenance. There's things that need to be fixed, taken care of in the church. Uh, there's ushering. We talked about there that it would be great to have a team of ushers and people that are... That are uh, committed to doing that. Ministry areas, simply giving to support the operations of the church, the expenses of the church. That's important as well. Uh, prayer. Prayer is an important ministry. Say, oh, well, I can't do some of these other things. Perhaps I'm not physically able. Well, you can pray. Everybody can pray. If you're a believer, uh, you can pray. And there's aspects you can pray on your own. There's times to come together with the people of the church and pray as well. Many other ministries. Each person has a God-given gift to minister within the church. And so if you'd like to be involved in a new way in ministry, uh, we encourage you to either make a comment on your Connect card and we'll get in contact with you or talk to somebody that you know is involved in a certain area and they can let you, more, let you know more about that area of ministry. But together, we can make a difference in our church family and as we influence the world outside of our church. And so today we've, uh, we've learned a lot from the life of Samuel about how God wants to use us. You know, our society today in, in many ways is losing the presence of God in different aspects of our society. And God desires for us to call people back to God through repentance. You've, 
A person can't call themselves a Christian and serve the idols of our age. A true Christian is a person who serves the Lord alone, just as Samuel called people to serve the Lord alone. And as we desire to serve God more fully, as we desire to serve him alone, the enemy will attack. But through prayer, God will defeat the enemy and he'll bring blessing. He'll bring restoration into our lives, the the parts of our lives that have been broken in pieces or perhaps even our families. He'll bring restoration to those so that we can be a blessing to others. And God desires for our nation to be restored and governed by righteous leaders and biblical values. And we can help in that as we fulfill our call to ministry within the church and as we use the gifts that God has given us to reach others outside of the church with the gifts and calling from God. The first step to becoming a believer, to becoming a a Christian, according to the Bible's definition, is to admit that we've sinned. And all sin is Serving some type of idol other than God. We admit that we've sinned and we ask for God's forgiveness. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. We invite him into our lives and we commit our lives to serving him and him alone. So I'd like to ask us, we're going to pray now. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your head and we're going to pray if you would like to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or to recommit your life to him, I'd like to encourage you to pray a simple prayer with me, simple but profound, that will impact the rest of your life. Uh, Perhaps you may have prayed a prayer like this in the past, but you've wandered away. And I encourage you to pray with me to recommit your life as well. Say something like this, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things, and I ask for your forgiveness. I invite you into my life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven and rose from the dead. I commit my life to following him all the days of my life. And For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us how you want us to live. Thank you for... The life of Samuel, who served you faithfully his entire life. Lord, we want more of your presence in our lives, uh, in our church, and in our nation. Forgive us for the place that we've given to idols in our lives and in our country, God. We pray that we would repent of the areas of sin in our lives, that you would use us to call others to repentance, so that together we may serve you alone. Help us to understand the importance of prayer as we pray in our own lives and as we pray with others so that we may defeat the enemy's attacks. We pray for any in our church family who are under attack that you would rescue them. We pray for our nation and indeed our world that is under attack by this coronavirus. We ask that you protect and give wisdom to overcome this attack of the enemy. May we not give in to fear trust you to protect us and use reasonable precautions. Lord, we want to see our our nation blessed. We want to see our church blessed. We want to see our city blessed. We ask that you bring a restoration of biblical values to our leaders and to our laws. Give us righteous judges that judge according to your word, God. Guide our nation 
to elect godly leaders in this election year of 2020. And finally, we asked for and we pray for a missionary MC who's serving you in a sensitive area in Eurasia. God, we pray that you would protect and empower her to help set free the girls that she's ministering to that have been enslaved in human trafficking. We pray for your protection and we pray many girls would be set free and come to you through the ministry of MC. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.